For the next four weeks, we're going to hear and consider a message series entitled Meeting the Challenge. Now, some of you are saying, well, we're in the middle of a series. You're right. Don't, do not fret. We will come back How to Do Life, our series on James, 1st of September. We've been praying about this, and I uh, um, feel like this is appropriate for us at this point in the year and our history. If you will, let's stand together if you're able to honor the reading of God's Word, and if you're not, that's fine. You can remain seated. Joash was seven years old when he became king. He reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabiah. She was from Beersheba. Throughout the time of Jehoiada the priest, Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight. Jehoiada acquired two wives for him, and he was the father of sons and daughters. Afterward, Joash took it to heart to renovate the Lord's temple. So he gathered the priests and Levites and said, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all of Israel to repair the temple of your Lord, of, the, of your God as needed year by year, and do it quickly. However, the Levites did not hurry. So the king called Jehoiada the high priest and said, Why haven't you required the Levites to bring from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by the Lord's servant Moses and the assembly of Israel for the tent of the testimony. For the sons of that wicked Athaliah broke into the Lord's temple and even used the sacred things of the Lord's temple for the bales. At the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside the gate of the Lord's temple. Then a proclamation was issued in Judah and Jerusalem that the tax God's servant Moses imposed on Israel in the wilderness be brought to the Lord. All the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought the tax, and put it in the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought by the Levites to the king's overseers, and when they saw that there was a large amount of money, the king's secretary and the high priest's deputy came and emptied the chest, picked it up, and returned it to its place. They did this daily and gathered the money in abundance. Then the king and Jehoiada gave it to those in charge of the labor on the Lord's temple who were hiring masons and carpenters to renovate the Lord's temple, also blacksmiths and coppersmiths to repair the Lord's temple. The workmen did their work, and through them the repairs progressed. They restored God's temple to its specifications and reinforced it. When they finished, they presented the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada, who made the articles for the Lord's temple with it, articles for ministry, and for making burnt offerings and ladles and articles of gold and silver. They regularly offered burnt offerings in the Lord's temple throughout Jehoiada's life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer this morning that you will lift from your words the challenge that our hearts need to hear. And I pray that as we hear your challenge, I pray that we'll respond to you. 
I pray that today as we come together as your family, that we will recognize whose we are and who we are in Jesus and the calling, the challenge, the commission, and the command that you've given to us in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At the end of this month, there is going to be a movie released. That movie is entitled, Nick Saban, Game Changer. Now, I almost brought the, uh, um, the trailer to show you this morning. Because it's a documentary and people just talking about Nick Saban. But I didn't want us to get focused on football. That's why I didn't bring it to see you. Jason saw it and he thought I should show it. So, uh, but anyway, on that, on that clip, you hear some people that you would recognize their names talking about Nick Saban. Bill Belichick of the, uh, of the New England Patriots said this. He said, Nick Saban is focused and driven, but that's what you want. Mal Moore is on there and he says, this hire was the most significant hire for Alabama, the University of Alabama, in its history. Paul Feinbaum said, you knew things were going to be different. But none of those really hit me like the producer, Grant Guthin, who wrote these words. He said, the difference with Nick Saban is the understanding that human nature is to be mediocre and not succeed. And if you ever heard Nick Saban in an interview, and you have, he speak, uses that word succeed repeatedly. Now, some of you are going, Brother Jerry, that's a fine story, but what does it have to do with the gospel, with the church, with believers, with religion? What does it have to do? Well, here's the parallel that I draw. Nick Saban was hired to coach football in a university that is accustomed to being successful on the football field, dozen national championships, and yet admittedly had struggled in recent years to be successful. When I think about us as a church, whether you call us an organization, an organism, an institution, or a family, it doesn't matter. The local church has a long legacy of being successful. Ever since the first century, we've been successful. And today, we find ourselves struggling to be successful. Now, why is it important for us to be successful? Because, listen, and all you football fans, you can beat me up later. It doesn't matter whether it's Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. It doesn't matter. When you lose a game on the football field, what have you lost? A sporting event. If the church loses, we lose the souls of our sons and our daughters and our granddaughters and our, and our legacy for all eternity. We are called by Almighty God to be successful. Now, you can listen to preachers and pundits. You go, Brother Jerry, why is this so important and why are you so passionate about it? Because you can listen to preachers and pundits tell us that our society 
It's dysfunctional. Our society is disintegrating. And some of you may say, well, it's not in my house. Well, listen, all you got to do is read the paper, watch the news, watch your email, and you will find that the church, by and large, is losing her influence, is losing her uniqueness in our culture. And I suggest to you that we need some game changers. We need some folks who have the passion of a Joash. I just want you to look before we get to the before we get to the outline. You can go ahead if you want to one there. I want us to be game changers. But before we get to the text, I want you to think about Joash just for a second. Joash became king when he was seven years old. Did you hear that? Seven years old. But you know what? As king, and it's a long history if you read the previous chapters, it's a long history how he became king and how he wasn't killed by his stepmother, Athaliah, and all that kind of thing. But when he became king, he had Jehoiada as his counselor. Please listen. If you've never sat in a position of leadership, it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor, a president, a CEO, a manager, whatever else, your success is going to be dependent on the counselors that you have. He had, as long as he had Jehoiada as his counselor, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it does say pretty quickly there that Jehoiada, <clears throat> Jehoiada uh, found him too wise. I hope it was not while he was still seven-year-old, okay? And he became, had sons and daughters. Sometime later, he got him, uh, Jehoiada got him some wives and daughters, but as Joash began to grow. You know what he noticed? He noticed the temple of the Lord was in disarray. The house of God. You see, he didn't like the house of God because it was a house. He liked the house of God because it was God's. And it pained him as king to see the house of God in disarray. Folks, we're facing a challenge today. And the challenge is not just to meet every Sunday. The challenge is not just to pay bills. The challenge is not to maintain our Sunday school classes. The challenge is to take a a culture in darkness and bring it to light. And to me, one of the great sins of the day is a sin of apathy within the church. We come in on Sunday and we do our thing, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's worship. And when we're done, we're done. And it doesn't really matter about the people out there. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about a number of different subjects. We're going to talk about, as we meet the challenge, we're going to talk about finances, we're going to talk about facilities, we're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about uh, fellowship, fellowship, and even our future. Today, we're going to begin with the first two that I mentioned, finances and facilities. And we're going to talk about what it means if we're really going to be game changers. If you're going to be a game changer for the kingdom of God, what does it require? I think we can find it in the life of Joash. You can flip over on the back of your bulletin, write it down. If you have questions, study it and then come and we'll talk about it. The first thing that I see here that it requires, it requires a passion. It requires a passion. Now, we know what passions are. 
It's whatever drives you. Nick Saban, passionate about winning football games. What are you passionate about? If you look here in verse 4, it says afterward. Afterward. Now, we don't know if that means after he had gotten of age. or We honestly don't know what that means. But we do know this, that he says, Joash took it to heart to renovate the Lord's temple. Took it to heart. King James says he was minded. Others say he decided to renovate the Lord's temple. The Hebrew word, there's a compound word. It has a preposition, with, and it says with his heart. And literally it means with all that he is. You get the picture when you read that Deuteronomy passage that says, Love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You see, with all that we are, that's our passion. You know what? Joash has a passion. Nick Saban's got a passion. Other coaches have a passion. You have a passion. But great people all through history had passion. Elijah had passion. He was a game changer. Peter had passion. He was a game changer. Paul had passion. He was a game changer. Daniel had passion. He was a game changer. Jesus had passion. He changed the game entirely. And now, we're called to be game changers. Billy Graham's been a game changer for over half a century. But as you think about men in history, I mean, who I'm reminded of that draws a good picture. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the Castle Church in Wittenberg, and he led those 95 theses with a prayer that began something like this. Out of great love for the truth and a desire to see it come to light. Do you know what was driving Martin Luther? Is that the, the church had become so corrupt, he knew that no changes would be made in this culture. He, was, he knew that a corrupt church led to a corrupt culture. A corrupt church led to a corrupt world. A corrupt church led to souls being lost for eternity. And his passion was to turn it around. You see, folks, think about what your passion is all about today. Now, you don't have to say, well, my passion is about Jesus. Just go over the last seven days of your life. What drove your life? What was your life focused on? That's your passion. may not be what you want your life to be passionate about. You see... We need to be passionate about our Lord and his bride. I am sad to say, and you can charge the pulpit later, I am sad to say that a lot of times we treat the local church like the ignored girlfriend. You know what I'm talking about? That girlfriend, she's supposed to be your girlfriend, but she sits home all week long and she waits for your call. So you can grace her, men, and invite her out Friday night. She sits home, and you just ignore her. you got other things to do. You let her sit home a couple of weekends, you know what you'll find out, men? You call her that next weekend, she may be out with somebody else. 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about, men? You see, a lot of times we ignore the local church, if you don't believe me. The church is having a meeting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Compare this crowd to then. Church is having a meeting Wednesday night. Compare this crowd to then. Oh, but Brother Jerry, you don't understand. It doesn't matter whether I understand or not. Does God understand? We get back to having Sunday nights instead of our Monday nights. Look at the crowd on Monday night. Here's your pastor's belief. If we have a passion for the Lord, we have a passion for his church, and the church announces a get-together, unless you're providentially hindered, you should be here. And if we're not going to be here, let's don't have it, Brother Teddy. You see, we need a passion like he had. He took it to heart. It was in his soul. You see, the passions that we have drive our lives. We will plan for months and months and months and months and months to go to a football game, to go to the beach, to go to the lake, to go to the coast. We'll plan for months and months and months and months on end. But you let somebody in the church say, well, you know, in two weeks, we're going to do thus and so. And you know what you'll hear? Well, I don't know what I'm doing that day. It's a matter that you don't know what you're doing. It's a matter that the passion of our lives have to do with something else instead of for the Lord. What's your passion today? If we're going to be a game changer in this community, I am not talking about Birmingham. I am not talking about Gardendale. I am not even talking about Bessemer. I am talking about Hueytown. If we're going to be game changers, it's going to take a passionate people. The second thing I see here, as he decided to renovate the temple, it requires a plan. Now, make no mistake, Joash was dealing with money. And if you're visiting with us today, and you haven't been in church in 19 years, and the preacher's preaching on money, let me just tell you, these folks will, will affirm that I don't preach on money very much. But I'm going to today. You know what the plan was here? If you look here... He gathered his, Joash gathered his priests together. He said, just go out and tell everybody to do what they're supposed to do. Hello? Just go out and tell them to bring what they know they're supposed to bring. And if they'll bring what they're supposed to bring, there'll be no problem and the building will get taken care of. Do you know that today, that there's a plan to take care of the church? Do you know that there's a plan today to take care of the ministries of the church? Oh, I can tell we're getting excited, aren't we? And that is with God's people returning His tithes and then giving their offerings. Now, did you get that verbiage? Returning His tithes and giving their offerings. There's a number of things we need to say about that. First of all, you cannot give an offering until you've returned its tithe. In fact... The prophet Malachi calls us that if we don't, if we're not at least tithing, we are robbing God. Some of us today will say, "Uh, Brother Jerry, do you know about the economy? Oh, yeah, I'm living right where you are. I went and got gas yesterday. I paid $2.55. Now, somebody tell me that I'm losing my mind. We had millions of gallons of oil spilling out in the Gulf. And the gas moved down. 
We got the leak plugged and the gas prices are going up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I got gas for $2.55 a gallon. Ten minutes later, I had to go back by the uh, uh, gas station about 10, 15 minutes later, and it was now two fifty nine. I hope it's not going up four cents every ten minutes. I know about the I know about the economy, but here's your question. Here's the question. Some of us have decided that since the economy is bad, we're going to hold on to that tithe. So you know what that tells me? That you and I are more afraid of the economy than we are of God. You see, it's his tithe. And then it's our offering. I want to just, I want to go on record. I've been there before. When it comes to special offerings, I have never served a congregation that was more generous than this. In five years, I don't think we have pointed out one need, one Verified true need that people didn't come through in a heartbeat and take care of it. You're to be commended for that. At the same time, I may not have ever served a congregation in all these years that seems to be as inconsistent with the regular week in and week out tithe. You see, we don't have a right to take our tithe and do something else with it. Well, I'm going to take my tithe and I'm going to designate it to the Women's ministry or to the youth ministry or to the... You can't... You know, yeah, you can do that, but make no mistake, you're going to stand before God one day about stealing His money. You see, there's a plan out there. Plan A. His tithes, our offerings. Now, watch this. Joash looked at that and he goes, okay, plan A should work. If everybody just do what they're supposed to. By the way, because the church people do not do what they're supposed to, the government has picked up a lot of the things the church are supposed to be, supposed to be doing. You want to know why our taxes is high? Because the church has not stepped up. You ever thought about why churches have to do everything on a shoestring? Hello. Just, just ponder that a bit. It's not because of lack of money. We got ready to build a building in uh, Biloxi. And we got all our financial package together. My message that Sunday started like this. I have great news. We have all the money we need to build this building. Everybody just smiled. And I said, now for the other news. A lot of it's still in your pockets. I believe this, folks. I believe God makes the provision before he calls out the need. And if he's made the provision, it's here. When plan A didn't work for Joash, he said, guys, go out and tell them and do it quickly. Now, we don't know exactly when he went out, but here's what we do know. That it was, if you look in, you don't have to turn there because it'll take you too long. I got mine marked. Just write it down. Second Kings chapter 12, verse 6. It says, by the 23rd year of the reign of Joash. You remember Joash started at 7, reigned 40 years. By the 23rd year, a little over halfway, the priest had not repaired the damage to the temple. He gave them time. And when plan A didn't work, he took matters into his own hand. 
Which brings us to the third thing that I think it requires. It requires a persistence. You know what a persistence is? It's not giving up. It's not giving in. It's not getting out. Giving out. So you know what he did? If you look down in verse uh, 6 in one sentence before that, however, the Levites did not hurry. So the king called Jehoiada, the high priest, and said, why would you require the Levites to bring the, from Judah and Jerusalem tax imposed by the Lord's servant Moses, the assembly for the tenth of testimony? Verse 8, at the king's command, a chess was made and placed outside the gate of the temple. Proclamation was issued in Judah and Jerusalem that the tax God's servant Moses imposed on Israel in the wilderness be brought to the Lord. You see, folks, the truth is we cannot ever give in and give up. Has anybody ever wanted to give up? Anybody? I have. You just want to throw in the towel? And about the time you want to throw in the towel, you know what happens? You remember what's at stake. You remember who you serve and what's at stake. We serve the one who created it all. And what's at stake is the lives of people. I think there are some some real interesting things here we'll get to in a second. But he took a chess. And Kings tells us that he bored a hole in it. And King Second Kings tells us that he put it on the right side of the of the of the altar for everybody to see. And he did that to give a visual and a place to give. Now I want to say something to you. We're going to call this the chest of Joash. I thank Larry for for taking care of it and getting it opened. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't do this much, but I'm going to be the first one to drop in. Now, that's not all I'll give. But here's what I will say to us. We cannot just focus on this one time and be done with it. God is calling us to do some things, and I'll tell you where we're starting. One of the things we start with is in this building. There are some things. Two years ago, for the last two years, the build, your building and grounds team have worked together as much as they could to try to figure out some things that need to be done in this building. Now, I want to just make a couple of comments. Please hear me. Please don't second-guess these guys. If you want to make a suggestion, we're glad to hear it. But we have worked together for over two years to try to prioritize the needs in this building. Now, we're not going to give you all those needs right now. We did talk about them in business meeting a couple of weeks ago and voted that we could receive money like this. I will tell you our first project are the lights in here. Yes, these lights are beautiful. But A, you know that there's a little line of sight problem, but B, what you do not know, many of you, is that we've already had the bottoms of four of these things to fall. They just gave away. And we've been very fortunate. Larry can fill me in better. A couple of times, almost hit Patricia. And wouldn't you like to be walking under there when they fell? That's going to be our first project. We know that it costs us approximately $9,000. 
we're not going to do anything until we get all the money in hand. Now, let me just say this about this. We are not asking everybody to do the same thing. It's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. We probably have some folks in this church, in this church family, that could write a $9,000 check today and never miss it. If you decide to do that, the other money that comes in will move to the second project. We have some folks in here that to give $9 today would be a sacrifice. We don't give equal gifts. We give equal sacrifice. And we're going to leave this right here week in and week out. And you just drop it in. And at the end of every Sunday, we will check it. And we will deposit it. And I have no doubt that God will use his people to meet the challenge. But it's going to require us to be persistent. It's going to require us to stay on task. It's going to require us to have that passion for the Lord's house. I challenge you to be a part of this. Because the last thing that I see here, if we're going to be a game changer, it requires a partnership. A partnership. Now, we know what partners are. We know what partners are. And we know in some businesses that there are partners that are silent. God doesn't need or want silent partners. Hello? Partners invest together. Invest their money and their lives to make sure the business comes right. Now, when I mention business here, don't get it confused with a um, New York approach to business. Oh, there may be some principles that apply, but let me tell you, in this business, uh, we are focusing on the Lord and His will and his way, and his plan. And here's what I will tell you. When we focus on him, and when we're faithful to him, here's what happens. We then release his blessing on us. I'm convinced that you can't, cannot outgive God. Because just by the time you think you've outgiven him, you know what he's going to do? He's going to open the storehouse and pour out a blessing. It's a partnership. What have you got invested with your life? I'm not talking about money. What have you got invested with your life in other people? Never forget what God has invested in this church. He had his only son, the blood of his only son invested in you. Are you his partner? You know, we can find a thousand excuses not to be. You begin that partnership when you receive his son. Jesus died for your sin and my sin. And he died that he can offer us forgiveness. He can offer us cleansing. He can offer us hope and help and healing he can offer friendship through the dark days and he can offer you support 
through the bright days. Are you his partner? Over in Philippians, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, I thank God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry it on. He's persistent to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think about you this way because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace. So watch this. We are partners in grace and that makes us have a partnership in the gospel. When we become partners in grace, we have a partnership in the gospel. Our Lord has given us a command and a challenge to meet. You will never be disappointed about the investment of your life and your money in the facilities and in the finances and in being faithful. And by the way, this is not a place for your tithe. Have I made that clear? This is not a place for your tithe. The place for your tithe is an offering plate. You know, <laughs> I was reading one preacher's message on this. You'll love this. I did. I got a good, big charge out of it. <laughs> this one preacher was saying as he preached to his people, he said, You know, some of you are saying, Why does, Who does this man think he is? Telling me to put my money in his offering plate. He said, I have three things to say about that. First of all, it's not my offering plate. Second of all, it's not your money. Third of all, it's the preacher's responsibility to tell us what's right. Years ago, a church was being built and a man... A wealthy man gave $10,000 to put the cornerstone in the church, the church building. A few years later, his business turned bad and he went totally bankrupt. And somebody walked up to him and said, Joe, don't you wish you had that money back you put in the church? He said, no. Because if I'd have had that money, I'd have lost it with everything else. Said the only real investment I have left is in the building of that church. Jesus said, Lay not up your treasures on earth, where moth, rust corrupts, and thieves break in to kill, steal, and destroy. But lay up your treasures in heaven. If we're going to be game changers, it's going to be because that we divest ourselves of distractions, of other passions and other plans and we do it his way because it's still his work let's pray together